0: Hey, good evening, everyone. You got a Bible with you? If you do, go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we'll be this evening. Ephesians chapter 4, in fact, all weekend. That's where we're going to be as we gather in here. So I hope you'll bring a Bible with you. And if not, you would ask one of the Hume staff or your youth pastor, and they can help you find one uh, as we work through the Word of God. Uh, As we jump into tonight, we're going to be hanging out uh, four different times this weekend, so I want to introduce myself briefly. Uh, My name is Brian Howard, and I am a pastor at a church called Calvary Community Church uh, down in Westlake Village. California, which is Southern California. <laughs> oh, Southern California in the house. All right, very good. Uh, but I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so any Northern California in the house? Okay, few of you. And then Central California got nothing for you. I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> much love. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just it's my life. It's my only life I have. Okay, so. Um, I want to introduce myself, uh, just a few things, three big things you need to know about me. And, and here's kind of the three things that take up the overwhelming majority of my time and my energy. Uh, these are the three things that my life is all about. Uh, the first thing is um, that in eight weeks, I will celebrate ten years of being married to this woman right here. Um, So that is my wife, Dani. Uh, Yeah, she's beautiful and amazing and loves Jesus, and she's kind and filled with mercy, and she is just the best. Like the best thing in my life was to marry a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves me, uh, and to be with her for 10 years. And this picture here, uh, this was before we had kids. We decided to take a big trip before we had kids. and We saved up for years and then we went to Paris. And she had this idea and she was like, hey, when you go to Paris, uh, let's take a photo shoot in front of the Eiffel Tower. I was like, that's a terrible idea. I really don't want to do a photo shoot in front of the Eiffel Tower. And she said, no, 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 it's a great idea. And let me tell you, it was a great idea. This photo is like the photo. We love it. She's cheerful. She's joyful. Uh, this is my wife, Danny, and I love her to pieces. That's number one. Number two, uh, I have three children. I'll show you a picture of them here. Uh, here are my three kids. Yeah, they are also adorable. Uh, the one on your right, the oldest, is Grace. She's five years old. She is a sweet princess. She's amazing. She's empathetic. Um, She is just incredible and and, and just my my first child, my oldest daughter, the joy of my life. On the left there is Noah. Noah is 80% sweet and cute and about 20% Thanos. Like, I think he will actually destroy this universe. Uh, But Noah is the most adorable. He has just recently gotten into Paw Patrol, and it is his entire life right now. Uh, And so this boy, he... Amazing, I talk about him all day. And then the little one in the middle looks like she's falling down, In this particular photo is Hope. Uh, Hope was born 10 months ago, back in February. So we're coming up on her first birthday. The only thing I can say about Hope is people have nicknamed her Happy Hope because all she does is smile. She's just the sweetest little kid in the world. But Here's a little secret, the one time she doesn't smile is like four in the morning when she's hungry and angry, okay, and we get up to feed her, all right. But those are my kids, I'll talk about them a little throughout the week. Grace, who's five, Noah, who's two, Hope, who's 10 months old. And then here's the third thing um, that I want you to be aware of. First is that I'm married to my wife, Dan. And the second is my kids. And, and the third is this, that when I was just about your age, maybe a little younger, uh, in middle school, I met the resurrected Jesus Christ. Like, I met Jesus and some of you know exactly what I mean by that. And for some of you, that's such a strange and weird thing to say out loud. But I want you to know that I was a church kid. I grew up in church. I was at church all the time. And I was going through all of the motions. And then I went to summer camp right before my eighth grade year. And I thought it was just another summer camp going through the motions of doing the camp thing and having fun and having this camp high. And somehow, in the midst of this, I encountered Jesus in this powerful way that changed my life. And my life is just completely different than it would have been if I had never met this Jesus. And this weekend, this weekend, my hope for you, my hope for every single one of you is that you would know that just like God brought me to that camp where I just thought it was a normal, average, ordinary camp and he brought me there to change my life, I want you to know this, that the God of the universe has brought every single one of you here for a purpose and on purpose. He's brought you here on purpose and he's brought you here for a purpose whether you have been excited about winter camp for six months, or whether you signed up last week, whether you're here because your friend like, tricked you into coming, you're like, it's a church camp? I didn't know that, right? Or, or whether your parents forced you to go. Like Whatever your situation is, you are not here by accident. You are not here by mistake. The God of the universe has something to say to you this weekend. And the most important question is this, not whether God will speak, because God is in the business of speaking. The question is, whether you will have the ears to hear it, whether you will listen to what God has brought you here to tell you this weekend. So see, I'm so encouraged to be here with you, because I just know God is going to speak. And the reason I know God speaks it isn't because we're going to hear some voice audibly from heaven, and we're all going to be like, what was that? That was crazy. God speaks to us primarily, and most authoritatively, through his word, through the Bible, So when we read the Bible, we're not just reading like a religious text with information about God. We are reading the very words of God where he has something to say to us. And again, God brought you here on purpose and for a purpose. And he has something to say to you this weekend. And that's going to happen through his word. That's going to happen this weekend through the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter that we're going to look at. Now, here's what I want you to know. When we study the Bible... There are really two different ways of studying the Bible when I talk to people about how do you study the Bible on your own. And I want to talk about those two different ways in this way. The first way you study the Bible is like a burrito, like a burrito, like, you have a good burrito. Now, now, here's the thing about a burrito. When you eat a burrito, you just, like, shove that thing in your mouth, and you're trying to get all the flavors at once, right? You just jam it in there, whether it's a great, like, lunch burrito, a breakfast burrito, whatever that is, you're eating it. You're not eating a burrito being like, mm, that was a lovely grain of rice, right? Like, that's not what you do. When you eat a burrito, you're not like, mm, that was a nice piece of cheese. You're trying to get it all together. And so what does this mean for Bible reading? It means that sometimes when we read our Bible, we read the entire Gospel of John just to get the whole story. It means that sometimes when you sit down to read your Bible, you should read multiple chapters all at once just to get the overall picture of what God is doing in this world. Uh, Like sometimes I like to sit down and read through a whole Gospel or read through the whole Sermon on the Mount or read through the book of uh, Joshua or read through the book of James. It's an amazing thing to do when you study your Bible. To not linger on every word, but to get the whole picture. But then here's another way of reading your Bible. And this is the way we're gonna read our Bibles this weekend. The next way to read your Bible is like fine chocolate. Now when it comes to fine chocolate, here's what you need to know. Uh, The point is not that you eat as much as you can as fast as you can. Like you can do it that way, but that's not the point. The point of the fine chocolate is you break off this little teeny bit, you let it sit on your tongue, you let it marinate, you understand every little part and piece of it. How it tastes and aftertaste and how it feels and how it smells, you try all of it. And that's what we're gonna do tonight. And that's what we're going to do this weekend. See, tonight, as we kick off this weekend of winter camp, we're going to look at one verse. One verse in the scriptures, and that verse is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. So if you got a Bible with you, I just want you to look at that verse. We're going to be picking apart, we're going to be thinking on, considering, meditating that verse tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. For those of you who don't have a Bible in front of you, it'll be up on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. Here's the verse tonight. We are going to spend the next few minutes considering what God has to say to you on this first night of camp, where God brought you here on purpose and for a purpose, through these words. So you'll notice up here the first words, it starts with these words. It says, so I tell you this So let's start with who is writing this, because someone is telling them this. Now, who's writing this? It's a person named Paul. Now, here's what you need to know about Paul's story. He was known as Saul for a long time, and Saul was one of these religious leaders who saw Jesus, and his initial reaction to Jesus was not a positive reaction, but rather a violently negative one. Like, this guy sees Jesus and wants nothing to do with him. Like, I just wonder if anyone in the room knows what that's like. Like the first time you heard about Jesus, or when you hear the name Jesus, you're just reacting negatively to him. And this is Paul. So much so that in fact Paul beats and imprisons and in one circumstance ends up killing a Christian. And then here's the crazy thing about Paul's life. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. He wants nothing to do with this Christianity thing. He wants nothing to do with what's this whole church thing going on. And then one day he's on the road. And he's actually on the road to go imprison some more Christians. Like he's continuing to persecute the church. And then he, just like I did when I was in eighth grade, encountered the presence of the resurrected Jesus. And it changed his whole life. Like he was literally on the road to kill Christians, and then suddenly, boom, he becomes one. And he becomes a believer, and his entire life turns around, and he starts pursuing Jesus. He starts planting churches and starting new churches. He writes letters, including this letter that we have right here, to all these churches to tell them how to follow after Jesus. This is a remarkable story in this guy named Paul. He goes from hating Jesus and knowing nothing to do with him to suddenly devoting his whole life to what it means to follow and make Jesus known to others. And you know why this is the coolest story on the first night of camp like this? But Because God looked at Paul, that this guy who wanted nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, this guy who was so sinful and wicked, he was killing followers of Jesus. It'd be like him rolling into this chapel, grabbing you, dragging you outside, putting you in prison or killing you. God looks at that guy, that murdering, blasphemous man, and he says, I'm not done with you yet. That's what God says about Paul. And here's the crazy thing. If God says about that about Paul, God says that about you. Like, I want you to know if God is not done with a sinner like Paul, here's the best news I can tell you tonight. God is not done with a sinner like you, and God is not done with a sinner like me. Like, again, I don't know how you came in here tonight. I don't know why you came to camp or what's going on in your heart and life. I just know that some of you think you're so far gone that God would want nothing to do with you. And yet here's Paul, who is literally murdering Christians. And God says, I'm not done with that man. I have plans for his life. I have plans on purpose and for a purpose. It's like this. It was almost 10 years ago. uh, There was a young girl named Paige, 16 years old. Paige went to one of the local schools in her area, and I was a high school pastor in the area. Um, And Paige was one of those people who wanted nothing to do with Jesus. She didn't want anything to do with Jesus. She didn't want to walk with him. In fact, she was going the opposite direction. Like every bit of the high school party scene, every bit of the scene that just rejects anything to do with God and his commands on her life. But then, her friend Katie. Her friend Katie says, hey, um, Paige, in January, I'm I'm going to this thing. sounds crazy, but it's like up in the mountains at this place called Hume Lake. And she goes, Paige, would you come with me? And Paige is not sure she wants to come, but ends up coming, and she comes into this chapel right here. And through the course of the weekend, she hears about a God who loves her, a God who sees her, and a God who sent his son Jesus to die for her. And that very weekend, 10 years ago, Paige put her faith and trust in Jesus. It changed her whole life. The very next week, she was baptized. She spends the rest of high school following Jesus. Later on, she meets a man who loves Jesus, gets married to him. Her life completely got turned around. Why? Because the God of the universe looked at Paige and said, whatever you've done and wherever you are, I'm not done with you yet. Can I speak that over someone tonight who has disqualified themselves from the love of God? Like, I want you to know that you may have spent your whole life like Paul or like Paige, running from God, sprinting in the other direction. But here's what I want you to know tonight. If tonight you would stop and turn around, you would realize that the God of the universe never stopped chasing after you. See, here's the story of Paul. Paul is the worst type of sinner. And yet the God of the universe says, I'm not done with you yet. And for someone in here who thinks the God of the universe wants nothing to do with you, I want you to know he wants everything to do with you. He sees you. He knows you. He calls you here. And he brought you here this weekend on purpose and for a purpose. It begins with the words, so I tell you this. And then it goes on to say this, and I insist on it in the Lord. I insist on it in the Lord. So again, Paul is going to say, I'm going to tell you this. And then I'm going to insist on it, not on his own authority, not on his own credibility, but on the authority of the Lord. Now when you see the word the Lord in the scripture, uh, I want you to know this is referring to God, this God of the universe we've been talking about. Uh, And yet it gets a little more specific. See, in the New Testament, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. Uh, And the Greek word behind this word Lord here is the word kurios. It means king, it means master. But then when we get to the Old Testament and you're reading through the first 39 books of the Bible and you see the word the Lord, almost every time what it's referring to is a Hebrew word and that Hebrew word is Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh is not just God. It is the name for God. It is how God describes and names himself in the scriptures. And and you know how names can have meanings? Like this isn't some crazy ancient world things like all of our names mean something. Maybe you know what your name means. Here's what God's name means. Here's what Yahweh means. Yahweh means I am who I am. Like in other words, the God of the universe defines himself as the one who is who he is. And here's what you need to know tonight. If you're taking notes, write this down. God is who He is, and you and I do not get a vote. God is who He is, and you and I do not get an opinion on the matter. We do not get to shape the matter. We don't get to say, well, I don't feel that way about God, or I don't think that way about God. God's nature and character is not up to power or tradition or opinion or popular vote. God is who He is, and you and I do not get a vote. And here's what you need to know. There is a God who wants to encounter you this weekend. But he is not the God of your imagination. He is not the God you make. Sometimes I talk to people and they say things like this. Well, it, I, just, I just don't believe in a God who would do blank. And it's like, that's cool. You can believe whatever you want. But God is who he is. He's not changed by your thoughts or your feelings or your emotions or how you see him. There is a real God who wants to encounter you this weekend. He is who he is. And you don't get a vote. But you do get to know him. And here's how you get to know him. You get to know him through the word, through his revelation. The word of God, the Bible, is God saying, this is who I am, this is what I'm all about. You can take God or you can leave him, but you don't get to recreate him in your image. You can take him or leave him, but you need to take him as he is. And do you know that God in the Bible describes himself primarily with one singular word? Like if I were to ask you, what is the one word you would use to describe the God of the Bible? Some people might jump to the word love. And I believe God is love. The scriptures say that explicitly. That God is love. But that's not the one word God would use. Some people would say all powerful or all knowing or all present. That's what God is. And those are true. But that's not the one word. Maybe gracious or compassionate or just. Or maybe you'd say angry. I don't know what you'd say. But there is one word the Bible uses to describe God. And that word is the word holy. That Yahweh. The Lord, our God, is holy. The one thing you need to know about our God is he describes himself as holy. And in case you don't know what that means, let me tell you what holy is in three different phrases. When I say that God is holy, when the scriptures teach that God is holy, it means three distinct things. Here's the first thing you can write down. It means that he is utterly different. He is utterly different than you. Like in other words, God is not a bigger, better, stronger version of you. A lot of times we think of God and we think like, okay, it would be like me if I was all powerful over the world. And yet the scriptures say his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Like in other words, God is who he is and he's utterly different than you. He is not just like you. And that is a good, wonderful, amazing thing. Sometimes I say things about God and people come after me after the sermon. And they're like, that's confusing. I don't fully understand God. And I always say, like, I am so grateful to worship and serve a God who cannot be fully understood by you or me, Right? Like, isn't it amazing to worship a God who's not just like perfectly comprehensible? Because if God was perfectly comprehensible, it would mean that God is kind of at the level of our understanding. And yet God is not like us. One, he's utterly different. Two, God is totally righteous. When we say he is holy, it means he is totally righteous. Which means whatever God says, is. Whatever God says, is. Whatever God says the way is, is the way is. Like, whatever God says is good, is good. And whatever God says is wrong, is wrong. He's utterly different. He's totally righteous. And then finally, to say God is holy is to say he is eternally glorified. Like, I need you to know the truth about our God is that he is going to be worshiped and praised and adored and lifted high throughout all of the endless ages, whether you want to or not. Your life will bring glory to God whether you want it to or not. God will get the glory in the end. No one else will. The scriptures say every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I want you to know that the one word the Bible would use about our God is that he's holy. So when we see the Lord in Scripture, I want you to go, the Lord, God, the Holy One. That's who brought you here this weekend. The Lord God, the Holy One, brought you here on purpose and for a purpose. As again, Ephesians four seventeen goes on this way. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you, that you and I must no longer live as the Gentiles do. I'll get to that word Gentiles in a second, but here's what I want to point out. Paul is going to identify that God is the Holy One. He is the Lord. He is the Lord God who brought you here on purpose and for a purpose, and yet Paul jumps into this. He starts dealing out commands, that God actually has a way he wants you to live, and here's what I know. I've done this long enough to know that some of you are actually asking this question, who is God to tell me how I should live my life? Why should I listen to this God? Why in the world would I listen to this God? Why should I obey his commands? And here's how I want to answer that question. I'll answer it with another question. When you drove up today, you saw the mountain, the snow, the trees, the sky, the lake, everything you saw here. How do you think that all got here? Like, how do you think that got here? And if your answer is, well, I believe natural processes brought that about over millions of years and that there's no God involved, okay, let's go to a better, more simple question. Why is there something and not nothing? Like, why is there anything at all? And the person who says there's no God has no good answer to the question, why is there something and not nothing? But the person who trusts and believes in God believes what Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the first words of your Bible say, and that's this, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And here's what you need to know. When you create something, you get to define that something. The creator of a thing gets to say what that thing is. It's like this. Imagine the last um, social media uh, profile you created. So so I don't know if it's TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram or MySpace, like whatever you kids these days are using, right? But I want you to imagine you create your profile. And you go through that profile. What happens? You log in, and then you have to select a username, right? And you get to pick it. Now, maybe someone else picked the one you want, but you get to pick it. You get to pick your name and your picture and your bio and whether it's clever or really straightforward, the aesthetic of your grid. Like, you choose all of that, right? And why is it that the person sitting to your left and right doesn't get to decide what's on your social media profile? Well, easy answer. They didn't create it. So because they didn't create it, they don't get to define it. And here's what I want you to know about our God. He created everything so he gets to define everything. Can I just say this over your life? You didn't create the world. So you don't get to define the world. And then every eye in the room on me right now, right now. I want to be clear. You didn't create you. So you don't get to define you. And our world says you define you however you want. You just express and define yourself however you want to be. And whatever you choose, we're good with. You be all in on. And we'll celebrate whatever you decide you are and express to the world. And what the scriptures say is God created you. So God gets to define you. God gets to say who you are. God gets to say what your life is all about. And again, you didn't create morality and right and wrong, so you don't get to decide what's right and wrong. Like again, we live in this age where everyone just gets to decide for themselves what's good, bad, right, wrong, up, or down. And yet you are living in a world God created. He gets to decide what's right and wrong. It's like this, I got a buddy named Jacob. Uh, And every time I go to Jacob's house, I have to follow one rule. Jacob is the type of guy, when I get to his front door, he is a shoes-off kind of house. Anyone live in a shoes-off kind of house? Okay, good number of you. <laughs> Sometimes a little neurotic, but okay, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, this, this is your thing. Like, Jacob, okay, I come into his house. It's shoes-off kind of thing, which makes sense. Okay, understandable. So I roll up to his house, and what's the first thing I do when I get to Jacob's house? I take off my shoes. In my house, I don't take off my shoes. I wear my shoes. I know it's crazy to some of you, but I wear my shoes in my house. But I go into Jacob's house, and I take off his shoes. Why? It's his house. And because it's his house, he sets the rules. And if I told Jacob, I'm like, Jacob, you know what? Your rules are kind of old fashioned, kind of silly. In fact, I don't agree with them, so I'm gonna do what I want in your house. He would look at me and be like, Brian, I, this is my house. I'd be like, don't worry about it. In my house, I wear my shoes. He's like, but, but it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not your house. It's my house. See, ultimately, it's Jacob's house. So he gets to set the rules. And I want you to know whether you like it or not, you are living in God's house. You are living in the world he created. He created the world. He gets to create the rules. He gets to define the world. So your job is not to just express whatever you think in the deepest parts of your being. It is for you to submit yourself to the world that God has actually created. God created the world. So he gets to define the world. See, this weekend, my invitation for you is not to just kind of express or feel your opinions toward God. It is to submit yourself to a God who created you, who created everything, who tells us what right and wrong is and invites us into that life. That is what God has brought you here for. He has brought you here on purpose and for a purpose that you might know that God is who he is and he tells you what your life is all about. And then here's how we'll close at the end of Ephesians 4:17. It says this, so I tell you this and insist on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now in the New Testament, in the Bible, what we see is a description of two different groups of people. There are the Jews, and there are the Gentiles. The Jews are descendants of Abraham, a biological family, a tribe, the Jewish people, and then Gentiles in the Bible is literally everyone else. You got Jews, you got Gentiles. The entire Old Testament is the story of God forming this Jewish people. Jesus is Jewish, Paul is Jewish. You got Jewish people, and you got Gentiles. I am a Gentile, I'm anyone who's not a Jew. And yet... This is where it gets a little confusing, so track with me here. Sometimes, Paul uses it to describe Jews, ethnic Jews, and Gentiles, anyone who's not an ethnic Jew, and sometimes he uses the word Gentile to describe anyone who's not in right relationship with God. I know it's a little confusing, but if you are in right relationship with God, if you are walking with him and trusting him, you are part of the covenant people of God that God is forming, in this situation, he would say, you are part of God's family. And then anyone who is not walking with God, the rest of the world he's going to describe as Gentiles. So when he says, don't live as the Gentiles, what he's saying is, the rest of the world, who doesn't follow God, doesn't love God, doesn't walk with God, he goes, stop living like the rest of the world. And why does he tell us to stop living like the rest of the world? He says it, in the futility of their thinking. Like in other words, the rest of the world lives in a certain kind of way, and Paul is begging you to understand, and I want you to know the same, to stop living like everyone else. Uh, Like Again, I just think God brought some of you here to realize you've been trying to live just like everyone else. Everyone else in your high school cares about the same things. They care about popularity, or they care about money, or they care about how cool they are, how accepted they are. That they care about sex or they care about how many guys they've dated or how attractive they are. That they care about all of these other things. That in and of themselves, these things aren't necessarily bad. But if you build your life over fame or power or sex or attractiveness or approval, if you build your life on that, you are doing the same thing that everyone else in this world does. And Paul ends this sentence by saying, don't live that way. Don't be like just everyone else in the world. It is futile. In other words, it is a wrong way to live and it will not result anything in your life. In fact, it will all be washed away. It's like this, so this summer, I uh, took my family to the beach. And we go to the beach from time to time. Uh, and, and and so as we get to the beach, um, you got to know, when you go to the beach, just like as a young man or woman, it's awesome. You love it. When you go to be- the beach with children, it's basically like try to keep these three little humans from dying. Like that's the whole mission at the beach. But what's really convenient for me when I go to the beach is my children are terrified of the water. So they don't go anywhere close to the water. But the jam for my kids when they go to the beach is building sandcastles, okay? That's it. So I got my my daughter here. She goes to the beach. You see, the water is far, far away. She wants nothing to do with it, but she will fill that bucket, dump it out over and over and over again for hours. It's beautiful, or at least what she's doing is beautiful. Like, I got to confess to you right now that her actual result, the end result of the sandcastle is not beautiful. She's got some work to do, okay? It's kind of ugly, kind of falls apart, kind of isn't what you have in your mind when you think sandcastle, but she loves building sandcastles. However terrible her sandcastles are, she builds them And yet, do you know, if you just go online and Google this, there are like world championships of sandcastle building. Do you know that there are some epic sandcastles that people build? (laughs) Like people actually build these things. They spend hours and days putting these things together. They build these amazing sandcastles. It's so cool. You're like, who made that? Who had the time or the artistic ability to do that? That's absolutely incredible. But here's what I need you to know. The fate of this sandcastle. And the fate of my daughter's pathetic little crumbling sandcastle are the exact same fate. Because at some point, the ocean is going to come up in its tide. And it's going to wash all of it away. Whether it's a tiny little dinky falling apart sandcastle or that, it doesn't matter. It all gets washed away. And here's what I want you to know. If you live for anything except the purpose that God has for your life, it will eventually get washed away. You may be little famous or a lot famous, a little rich or a lot rich. You may have a little bit of romance in your life or a lot of romance in your life, but whatever you do, if you are not living for the purpose that God has put you in this world for, it will be washed away like this sand castle. In the end, if you live for anything other than the purpose that God has put on your life, it will wash away in the end and it will be meaningless. You will have wasted your life. And if I'm here to close and beg you on anything, it is to not waste your life. Don't waste it. Don't be the person that pursues all the things everyone else in this world pursues and forgets that there is a God who brought you here and built your life and gave you life and breath on purpose and for a purpose. Don't forget that. Like I'll never forget. The final night of high school for me, I graduated high school, uh, and for my uh, high school, we did like a grad night. Now, some people have cool grad nights where they go places. Ours was in a smelly gym, okay? Like, that was our grad night. We're, we're in the smelly gym, and we're in there, and we're kind of like hanging out with everyone. And it's this last night of high school, and I'm looking around, and I'm seeing all these people, and I was thinking about all these things in my life that I had done. I was thinking about all the energy I had spent on the football team trying to be cool or trying to be popular, all the things I had done in my life that were not about Jesus, not about his fame, but rather about mine. And I just remember looking around at all these people who I knew, most of whom I would never see again. And I remember going, most of this did not matter. All the drama, all the issues, all the things I thought were so important, all the things I stressed out about, most of this didn't matter. And the great tragedy of many of our lives is that I think we will get to the end and look back and say most of it didn't matter. And I think the God of the universe has brought you here this weekend so that you can focus on what matters, so that you can leave behind the distractions of high school, the distractions of home, the distractions of your friends and family, and say, I'm gonna focus this weekend on what matters. Again, the God of the universe has brought you here on purpose and for a purpose, and he has something to say this weekend. And the only question is whether you will have the ears to listen. I hope you do, I hope you will, and if you do, I know you'll be glad you did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight, and thanks for your word, and thanks for the opportunity to think about why you've brought us up here, why we're even alive, why we're even here. I just pray for the person who's following after you and loves you to the core of their being. God, would you use this weekend to speak life into them, to encourage them along the way. I pray for the wayward Christian who's been backsliding and drifting into oblivion. I pray for the person who's been just completely disengaged with you, that you would wake them up this weekend, And God, I pray for the young man or woman in this room who hates you, who doesn't even believe you, who doesn't even think you exist or care. God, I pray that this weekend you would meet them in power through the power of your Holy Spirit, just like you met Paul, just like you met Paige, just like you've met countless others in this chapel. Would you meet us in power this weekend? God, would you reveal your purpose for us? We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said,